On the table are outlines. We are in 1 Peter chapter 4. There is a possibility we could finish today. We'll see. Uh, we are almost done with chapter 4, and then all we have is uh, chapter 5. So let's see where we go. And there uh, should be pens on the table. And again, thank you for being here. So let me turn my phone off, <laughs> and then, then we'll pray. Father, thank you for the beauty of the day and the joy of this um, time we have together. The fellowship around the tables is really sweet, and we thank you that uh, we on this day get to share with brothers and sisters in Christ and laugh together and uh, share prayer requests together and, and just have great fellowship. Thank you for that. Thank you for the food. Use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies. And as we continue and maybe even finish First Peter today, I pray that uh, you will speak to our hearts, and we are eager to get into your word now and pray that you'll bless us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, from the outline, you'll see chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. The heading is Expect and Prepare for Suffering. And last week, we looked at verses 12 through 16, Glory and Suffering, and we came to two, three conclusions One, do not be surprised at suffering. Number two, do not think it's strange when we suffer. And three, do not be ashamed to suffer for Christ. And uh, Peter intertwines suffering with his glory. But what comes first, glory or suffering? Suffering comes first and then glory. So we come to the last three verses of this chapter today, verses 17 through 19. So let's read these verses and then we'll discuss them briefly. Peter writes, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So suffering and God's judgment. I noted three things here. In this text, and the first is this, embrace suffering for your good. Embrace suffering for your good. Here it appears that our suffering can be as a result of our own sin or behavior, and we know that that can happen because he connects it with judgment and connects it with discipline and tells us that it's for our own good. In in the cases, some of the suffering is for our own good. It's kind of like pruning a rose bush. Why would you do that? Well, you prune it so that as it grows back, the roses will bloom even fuller and more blooms and more beauty. And it reminds me that uh, I've always been told August and February are the months to prune your roses. Now, if you disagree with that, I really don't even want to hear about it. But that's 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 what I've always done. So... Before this month is over, I'll be pruning our rose bushes. And it's hard to do because they're in full bloom. And it's very hard to prune them and say, I don't want to do this. But I know it's going to pay off. It's for their own good and for our enjoyment. So I'll be pruning my rose bushes. And we are pruned also. We go through pruning in order that we might blossom even in more color and more vividly. For our Savior. It's also kind of like the parent-child relationship. Uh, you know, if, if you can remember your childhood and your mother or father uh, saying to you, this hurts me more than it hurts you. 
I, I never believed that as a child. And, uh, or for them to say, this is for your own good. And I couldn't quite figure out how in the world this was going to be for my good. But then, you know, I became a parent and I said the same things. I mean, I, I would hear my father or mother in my own words and think, my, what in the world has happened to me? You know, I'm, I'm using the same words that I heard them, heard them use. And it's true, isn't it? It's true for our own good. And so, Embrace suffering for your good. The second thing that I note from these last three verses of chapter 4, entrust your soul to God. Entrust your soul to God. Whether suffering for sin or suffering for doing right, in either case, entrust your soul to God. That's the only option we, that's the only viable option we have, isn't it? To entrust our souls to God. And then the third thing that I see here is a reminder to do good. In verse 19, so when you suffer, whatever for whatever reason, do good. Along the way, do good to others. Use even suffering as an opportunity to bring glory to God. I, I was reading a few months ago um, um, a book that contains some details of ancient European history. And there was a section about the, the Black Plague that, that came to Europe in, oh my goodness, okay, help me, George, was that the 1300s, Carol, 1300s, the Black Plague? Um, and it was devastating. I think it wiped out, in, in, in the end, wiped out about a third of the entire European population. But, but the amazing thing about the Christians was the witness that they had and the distinctiveness that they had during this horrible crisis in Europe in that when others were fleeing and others were leaving, the Christians were coming in right to the places of suffering or they were remaining if suffering came to where they live and they were seizing the moment as opportunities to witness and and help those who were ill even though it cost many of them their own lives because of their willingness to to minister to and to touch those who were so desperately sick. So that was an example of what Peter is talking about, our opportunity to shine brightly for God, even in the midst of, of suffering, which can sometimes be devastating. So in this fourth chapter, we see suffering uh, Peter discussing suffering in more detail than anywhere else in the entire epistle and a reminder that it is temporary, God will see us through, and that it is an opportunity for us to trust in God, commit ourselves fully to Him, and to shine brightly for God. And we've already observed before, you know it's true, um, there is the, the greatest moment for us to shine for Jesus is when we're suffering. When things are going good, you know, lost, the lost around us are not real impressed with our words of praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, they say, well, anybody can praise the Lord when everything's going well, but what about when things are going badly? And so that's our moment of greatest witness. When we hurt, when we're suffering, when things aren't going well, and yet in those moments we live for Christ and shine for Christ, then that is our moment of greatest witness. All right, let's go to chapter 5. We're almost done with First Peter. Where are we going next week if, if we get through chapter 5? Where are we going next week? 
Yeah, judges. You know, I, I've, I've been writing already the things that I'm going to say next week, if we get there next week. And, and I have a note on the side of one of my pages. Is this really supposed to be in the Bible? Now, do you know what that means? Have you read Judges? Like, oh, my word. I mean, that's in the Bible? So uh, there's some pretty hair-raising stuff in the book of Judges, and so we're going to have a good time. And there, God has a powerful purpose. And guess what's going to, guess what character is going to be front and center in Judges? Do you know? Who's going to be front and center? God. God. Oh yeah, we got a long list of judges. But front and center is going to be God and His unbelievable grace that in the face of man's behavior, He would show such grace and such love and such mercy is astounding. Oh well, I probably just meant I talk too much. We'll never get there. All right, verse 1, chapter 5. To the elders, ah, okay, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. See what Peter's saying there? I'm an eyewitness to the sufferings of Christ. I have suffered for Christ. There's more coming. He didn't know fully what that was going to mean, but he'd find out. And he's also going to share in the glory to be revealed. Suffering and glory continue to be intertwined. Verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. 25 or 26 sermons in those five verses. And have no fear, I'm not going to throw them all out there. In, in light of suffering and glory... Peter's constant theme in this epistle, Peter has an exhortation for the leaders, for the elders, the faithful leaders of the church. And in verse 1, he says, I am a witness of Christ's suffering. I've seen it with my own eyes. Indeed, he did. And as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, I'm looking ahead. I share in Christ's suffering. I'm going to share in Christ's glory. There's the promise. So when we are suffering, what are we to remember? This hurts, but. This hurts, but I am going to share in the glory of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the promise. Remember the dot. We don't have any first-timers today. So everybody knows, remember the dot. Our lives on the continuum of eternity What we experience here, though very important because it's our dot, but it's just a brief period of time, then the glory which lasts for eternity. So Peter is reminding of that keep looking ahead. Keep looking ahead. These are some weighty words for the elders 
but he is reminding them of their role and the importance of their role, what they're to do. They're to shepherd the flock, the church of God. They're to shepherd the flock and watch over them as a shepherd does a sheep with vigilance, with courage, with protection, with guidance, with sustenance that the shepherd shares with the flock, with wisdom. Shepherd the flock, he says to the elders. And then he, he addresses their readiness in verse 2 and 3. Uh, a shepherd is not one who is under compulsion, but one who willingly protects his sheep. Elders, you are not called to serve under compulsion, but you are called to serve willingly and, and eagerly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly desiring to serve those God has entrusted to you. Good words for our elders, good words for elders in any congregation. And he says, you're not there to be domineering, but you're there as examples for the flock. And then he reminds them of their reward in verse 4. When Christ appears... In humility, you will receive the crown of glory. The reward will be worth the labor, the crown of glory God has in store for you. He says to the church in verse 5, their responsibility is one of humility and fellowship of those that God has entrusted to them as their leaders. He quotes Proverbs 3.34, which any Jewish believer would, would have recognized that because Proverbs 3.34 is Solomon's words about adhering to the words of his father, adhering to the teaching of his father who was David. And, and so every Jew would have understood that. And so Peter is saying in the same way to the church to adhere and understand the value of the words of their spiritual leaders. And he says to the young, submit to your elders with humility. Then in verses 6 through 14, Peter will talk about grace and glory. So let's see what that says. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Good verse to have memorized. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I want you to notice this. Um, I didn't really plan to say this, but it's worth saying. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Is he a roaring lion? No. But he prowls around like he was one. Don't be afraid of him. Rather, resist him. And what does James say will happen when you resist him? He will run away. He will run away. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You're not alone. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, remember the dot, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Let's pause there for a moment. In an early, uh, an early religious work that 
came to be called the Acts of Peter. That document was the first in writing to claim that Peter was crucified upside down. You've all heard the story of Peter when he was going to be crucified, saying, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way that my Lord was crucified. Crucify me upside down, and they did. But we didn't. We heard about that first from the Acts of Peter. And by the close of the second century, uh, that the church all knew that and believed that. Tertullian, Origen, Eusebius, later Jerome, all of them believed that and said Peter was crucified upside down. So it's not just a tale. It, it seems to have historic support. Uh, Michelangelo painted it many years later, but painted it in uh, one of the chapels at the Vatican. Vatican. So if that is true, and I believe that it was, that Peter was crucified upside down, then I want you to think about his entrance into glory coming after one final humiliation and suffering. Peter on the cross, upside down. And I don't, the only thing I can think of worse than being crucified right side up would be crucified upside down. And so in one final humiliation and time of suffering, followed by exactly what Peter had said repeatedly in this text would happen. The glory of Christ, experiencing it for himself. So our Christian faith, teaches this, we believe it, that glory follows suffering. Um, I don't want you to think that as I say that, that I enjoy suffering. Nope. And neither do you. At least I don't think you do. But I want to remember what the scripture says. I think we know enough about Peter from his writing, from his life, to know that as he took his last breaths upside down on that cross, that he was anticipating, I'm just about to see it. I'm just about to see it face to face. I'm I'm ready to see the glory of the risen Christ. And guess what? When he breathed his last, he saw it, and it's never left his sight in 2,000 years. That's part of the anticipation we have. What we experience in heaven is not going to be a 15-minute short story followed by more of what we have here. It is forever and ever and ever and ever. Makes you feel reassured, I trust. Our inheritance and exaltation, our eternal sharing in the glory of Christ comes after suffering. It was so for Jesus and therefore for us. I remind you of the first chapter. Go back to verse 11 in the first chapter of this epistle where where it says, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. So there is is the first introduction in the very first chapter. Suffering and glory to the human mind seem incompatible, but we know it isn't. 
our status in Christ and our suffering on earth are intertwined. Go back all the way to the very first verse of, uh, of chapter 1. To God's elect, who, who, who turned the page? What is the next word? To God's elect exiles. There it is. One word butting up against the other. We are elect and we're exiles. I like the elect. I don't like the exile part. But it is who we are. And so right off the bat, we find the intertwinement of suffering and and glory. And it continues. Exaltation follows humiliation. Eternal glory comes after earthly suffering. And we've seen it in this very last chapter of 1 Peter. So in verses 6 through 9... He offers commands and encouragement. Humble yourselves. God cares for you. Uh, Grief is present, but God is near. Be sober-minded and alert and watch and resist him, that is, resist the devil. What you're experiencing is common to your brothers and sisters. So, you know, when we're suffering, we we can never say, I'm the only one. Which is a pretty lonely place to be, I, I, I grant you. But we can never, we can never say I'm the only one. Brothers and sisters everywhere experience the same thing that you and I experience. And so in verse 10, we see the divine principle that suffering is connected to eternal glory. God will see you through. Now in verses 10 and 11, we are reminded to suffer well and, and, and then to remember that you will be made strong. And firm, steadfast in the Lord. <coughs> now, I'm going to finish. I'm going to make it. <clears throat> I want you to look at verse 12. Here's some personal words. With the help of Silas. Oh, there's our old friend Silas. <laughs> With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother. Man, how would you like to be Silas? And know that through the ages... Millions of believers are going to read that. And, and Peter called you a faithful brother. Wouldn't it? I, they didn't have tombstones like we do now that they wrote long stuff on. For the most part, there are some exceptions. But wouldn't that be great? What could be on your tombstone, headstone, that'd be better than that? Faithful brother or faithful sister. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, that's enough. Just... Andy Davis, faithful brother. Now, my sister would object, but no. Andy Davis, faithful brother. Faithful sister. I have written to you briefly. That's a manner of perspective, Peter, briefly. I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Everything I've said, the grace of God. Suffering following, uh, uh, glory following suffering. She who is in Babylon, code word for Rome. Yeah, code word for Rome. She who is in Babylon, Rome, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son, Mark. I love that personal touch. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Don't you just love, you know, Mark was a real person. (laughs) 
Silas was a real person. Peter was a real person. They had people they knew and loved and served with. And so in this great epistle, we get the, 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 the final words of Peter to, to those that he loved. Greet one another with a kiss of love. How about that? So we're going to practice that today. I notice your laughter is nervous laughter. <laughs> no, we're not going to practice that, but just know it's biblical. Greet one another with a kiss of love. And, and they still do that, you know, in the Middle East. They still do that. You just get ready. Be sure you wash your your face in the morning if you're over there because you may get kissed during the day. And that's okay. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So here's the finish. With Silas, with the help of Silas. So Silas is with him. Maybe he was the amanuensis. Maybe Peter dictated this and Silas did the writing. Likely, that's what Peter meant. Silas is sitting here, I'm dictating and he's writing it. So with Silas, I have written to encourage you, be steadfast. Be steadfast. Greetings from Rome, greetings from Mark. The true grace of God is the union of suffering to glory. That's the true grace of God. Now, I want to close. How many of you heard the name Susanna Wesley? Ever heard that name? Who was she? She was the mother of John and Charles Wesley and 17 others. Yep. That's a lot of kids. Did I ever tell you the story about my friend and... Fort Worth, who was one of 17, but it was a, it was a, a blended, blended family. He said one day his mama yelled for his daddy and said, come here quick. My kids and your kids are beating up our kids. (laughs) I guess if you got that many kids, it's going to (laughs) happen. Here's what's written. On Susanna Wesley's headstone, I'm in sure and certain hope to rise and claim her mansion in the skies. A Christian here, her flesh laid down, the cross exchanging for a crown. Written on Susanna Wesley's headstone. That's not bad. And it's a reminder of the union of suffering to glory. And so we suffer well because, like Jesus, we suffer, but it is our most powerful witness when we do. Okay. Hey, exactly, Tintil, exactly. We did it. Well, thank you. Next week, um, judges, read ahead and get kind of a gist of the first few verses at least. Well, let's pray and then we'll be uh, dismissed. God, thank you for your precious word. We love you. We adore you. Um, you are so good to us. And I, I pray that we'll remember that when suffering comes, we'll keep our eyes on you and remember that there is glory 
that is unbelievable that is coming to us because of Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.